You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. Well, what a blessing to be here tonight. If you made it here, you're here. This is all good, isn't it? You know, I, I would be remiss. I would be an ingrate if I did not thank you for the kindness that Fellowship Baptist Church extends to Sue and me whenever we are here. Uh, we feel like we have a home church at Emmanuel Baptist Church up in Corona. We love our church. It is never a long drive for us to get here. We love you folks. We're very thankful for the opportunity to be able to minister with you and to be co-laborers with you. And as someone who is one of your missionaries, who are recipients of your annual kindness, thank you. Thank you. When I was in the business world, I used to tell the people that I worked with is you will get exactly what you're looking for. You will get exactly what you invest your time in. And it is no surprise to me that Fellowship Baptist Church has a heart for missions. Uh, When I hear a mission report like that, um, I rejoice. Sue and I have taken mission trips to Mexico twice, to New York City, and in May we are planning on going to South Africa for two weeks, working with two separate missionaries while we're there. I feel like if you have never been on a mission trip, you need to pray about going on a mission trip. It will change your life. Let me tell you how to change your life. When we went to Mexico, we would go with uh, Bearing Precious Seed. We would go into Colonias, which is just a, a ramshackle little village that they started out in the middle of a dirt field. And there were the, the nicer houses were made out of pallets and tarps. The not-so-nice houses were made out of something less than pallets and tarps. And all of them had taken and tapped into the power lines going by. So you saw all of these orange and yellow electrical lines running from the power line to the little house. That's certainly not a danger, is it? You know, no, no problem there. And the amazing thing was, those people were happy. They were content. They stood in a dirt field for two hours for a gospel presentation. Let me ask you, when was the last time you had an opportunity to spend 20 minutes in America sharing the gospel with somebody? And as we came home, Sue said to me, I never want to hear my girls complain about anything. Because in the eyes of many in the world, we are rich. And sadly, we're like that church in the book of Revelation, we are rich and we have need of nothing. And the Lord says, no, you have need of everything. You're actually poor. We need the Lord. We need everything that he has for us. If you have your Bibles tonight, will you please turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and out of respect to God's word, would you please stand with me tonight? The preface to the King James Bible says that it is meant to be read in churches. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to begin reading from verse 5, 
and we will read all the way down to verse 17, and I'll read all of the odd-numbered verses, and then if you would read all of the even-numbered verses, we will let our voices be lifted up, rejoicing in the word of God before the Lord. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul, writing under the pen of inspiration, says these words to us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. This is the word of God. Let him that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together today. Father, we come to you and we want to empty ourselves of ourself. Lord, if anyone comes away from this service and they think about anything that I've said or anything that I've done, Lord, I've failed. I ask that we would direct our thoughts and our attention to you and what you've done and the principles that you want us to embrace in our lives, the things that you want us to do to show character in this world. And Father, I would just ask that you would help us, that you would use us for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we give you all the glory for all that you have done for us. It all belongs to you. And we would thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When people put their children in a Christian school, oftentimes I've been asked, why would somebody go to a Christian school? Why would somebody go to a private school? Why would somebody homeschool when you have all of the facilities and all of the amenities and all the, the accoutrements that a government school would have to offer? Why would you place a child in a small school like that when you realize they may not be getting everything somebody could get in the public school. And I would say that's exactly why you would place a child in a Christian school. People place their children in Christian education and they homeschool for two reasons. They want them to get two things that are not available in our government schools today. They want them to have the Bible. Since 1962, the Bible, public reading of the Bible, and prayer at public events 
has been officially outlawed in the United States government. You're not allowed to do that. The second reason that people would place their children in a Christian school is so that they would get a character education. They would learn what is truth. You know, we live in a society today where we are told over and over and over again, there are no absolutes. How many of you have heard there are no absolutes? All right. Can I ask you a question? Is that an absolute statement that there are no absolutes? And so they place their children in a Christian school or they homeschool so that they can get a character education. And by that, I mean they learn what is truth. They learn to speak the truth in love. They learn to live their lives in light of the truth that they are going to spend eternity someplace forever. They learn the truth that they have been born and placed here in this world for a purpose. And one of the purposes that they've been placed here for the main reason is to give glory and honor to the Lord. And there's many avenues that we can glorify the Lord. We can glorify him through our work. Do you think in society today we are losing the nobility of work? Sue and I are on the road quite a bit. And as such, oftentimes we'll stop someplace and get a cup of coffee. And one time I was at a McDonald's. I sat down, I'd been on the road for a while, and as I sat down at the booth at McDonald's, I was drinking my cup of coffee, and there was a group of young high schoolers, post-high schoolers, sitting in the booth behind me, and I was fascinated by what they were talking about. One of them said, where are you geeking these days? Now, I had never heard that, you, that word used in that context. And so I listened to how he would answer, and the fellow said, well, I'm geeking at Walmart. I thought, if you work, you're a geek? If you work, if you have a job, you're something less than the person who sits in their parents' basement and plays video games all day? Is that what you're saying? And I thought about that. You know, the Bible has much to say about work and the nobility of work. The Bible says if any man will not work, he should not eat. It's pretty obvious. God wants us to work. And think about it. One of the very first things that he did, the Lord planted a garden. And then he said to Adam, here's your responsibility. You take care of your responsibility. And after you take care of your responsibilities, I'm going to give you a relationship. But take care of your responsibilities first. Do you know that the Puritans, when they came to America, they were so blessed to be able to come to have their own homes, to have their own gardens, to, to harvest the venison, the wild turkeys, all of the, the fish and all the wildlife that they had here, that they came up with a saying, a Puritan work ethic, and simply that's this. Puritans believed that work was a gift from God. How many of you believe that? Work's a gift from God. And they said, because work is a gift from God, therefore I glorify God when I work as hard as I possibly can because I glorify God in my work. A couple of years ago, I was in a pastor's meeting, and after the sessions that we had, they said, let's have a question and answer period. And so I was sitting in the front, and somebody said, one of the pastors stood up and said, Brother Schmick, I've got a question for you. He said, this is my life. He said... I preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, 
And then Monday, I go back to the office, and I take care of the things of the office. And Tuesday, I make hospital visits, or I make visits. And then Wednesday, it's getting ready for Wednesday night. And then Thursday, it's getting ready for visitation. And then Friday and Saturday, it's getting the sermon ready again. He said, I feel like I'm just in a rut, like it's just a routine over and over and over again. And he said, what can you say that would motivate me? And I have no idea what answer I gave, but whatever answer it was that I gave, as I drove home, I thought, that was pretty weak. So as I got home, I was telling Sue about that. And I firmly believe ladies shouldn't pastor, amen? But they can flat out preach, can't they? And so in the kitchen, I said, what would you have said? And she said, I would have said, that man needs to go to a hospital and visit somebody who's terminal and see how they feel about life. That, mean, that man needs to go to a nursing home and see somebody who can't do the things that they used to do. That man needs to appreciate the fact that he's got a job and a routine like that that he is able to do. And if you think about it, you and I have been blessed with an ability to work to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Philippians, Paul tells us, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the principle of, if we were in a Bible institute, if pastor were teaching a class, if he were teaching all the way through the book of Philippians, he would say, the theologians recognize this passage of scripture as the great kenosis, the emptying of the Lord Jesus Christ, of some of his attributes, so that he could walk among men and have an earthly ministry among them. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Isn't it interesting? The word servant is found over and over and over in the scripture. And God wants us to be servants like him. The greatest act of humility that the Lord practiced while he was here is he washed his disciples' feet. He took a basin. He took a towel. He wiped the, the Palestinian dirt off the feet of his disciples to show an act of humility. And it's amazing that when Judas went out to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, Judas walked out from the Lord with clean feet. God had served him. God showed humility towards him. And the idea of, of him being in the form of God, not thinking it robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation. The creator leaves the eternity, leaves the heaven that he lives in and comes down to earth. These are the songs that we sing at Christmas time. These are the songs like down from his glory, away in a manger, silent night. All of them convey the idea that God has come to earth. I was speaking at a church one time, and I made the statement. I said, you know, I wouldn't want to be a Christmas song because they only get sung one month out of the year. I also wouldn't want to be the third stanza of most hymns in a Baptist church because they never get sung in most Baptist churches. And after I made that announcement, the pastor got up afterwards, and he said, now remember, folks, we're having Christmas in July in the fellowship hall after the service tonight for our missionaries. Thought, well, there you go, Schmig. You've just got just a knack for the right words at the right time. <laughs> but all of this is the idea of what you see in John chapter 1 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God the Creator came down to his creation. The psalmist says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why would you, God of eternity, creator of the universe, look down on this tiny little creation that you made? What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. Why would you do that? Because it's humility. It's humble. It's humbling. When you think of humility... Sometimes it's easy for us to define humility if we think of the antithesis of humility. If we were in a classroom today and I were to ask you, what words come to mind when you think of the very opposite of humility? What would you say? Pride. Pride. What else? Arrogance. Give me another. Self-centeredness. Haughtiness. Someone who's puffed up know what humility isn't by the person who is prideful, the person who wants the preeminence, the New Testament says, the person who must be in the public eye, who is constantly craving attention. That is self-centeredness. It's also the idea, some people will think that in this world, they're irreplaceable. Have you ever met somebody who thought they were irreplaceable? I was going to Northland Baptist Bible College for some graduate work. We were driving along US 2, and it was just weather like this out there as we were going along US 2. Every once in a while, we would hit some black ice, and the car would kind of slip out of control. Truckers would be going in both directions, passing us whenever they could. And as we were driving down the road, the fellow that I was riding with was telling me and unloading all of the problems that he was having in the office that he was working in. And he was saying that there was no communication, and when there was communication, it was bad communication. And whenever there was an opportunity, he would get blamed for something, whether he did it or not, he was the one who was always taking the blame for something that was going wrong. And as I listened to him after a while, I just said, you know, it's a big world out there. The road runs in both directions. Why don't you just quit that job and go find someplace else? And he said, well, I don't really know how to say this, but in my office, I'm irreplaceable. And I just let those words sink into the stillness of the car and didn't say anything. And after a few seconds, I said, so you're telling me, as we're driving down US 2, if I were to lose control of this car, or if one of these truckers were to slide out of control, and they slammed into us, and we got ushered out into eternity, you're telling me that tomorrow morning at your office, everyone gathers around the water cooler, and they say, well, it was a good run while it lasted. We ought to polish the resumes, it's over. I don't know where we're going to go from here. This person's gone. We can't go on. And he said, well, no. No, of course not. Obviously not. Charles de Gaulle, not that I quote Frenchmen very often, but Charles de Gaulle said, the cemetery is full of irreplaceable people. All of us are replaceable. 
all of us have an expiration date. All of us will find that day when we look at the exit sign for one last time and we're gone and life goes on. All of us are mortal. All of us are here until God is done with us. He wants us to live out our days in humility. He tells us, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Do not think of yourself as somebody who needs the preeminence. Do not think of yourself as someone who must have center stage in the limelight. Think of yourself as a servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. The great preacher Harry Ironside went to a pastor friend one time, and in going to his pastor friend, he said, I need your help with something. He said, I'm struggling with humility. He said, I will walk into a pastor's office and I will look on his bookshelf and I see books on his bookshelf that I've written. He said, I'll go to a conference and the introductions that they give me at these conferences are embarrassing with what they say about me. He said, I'll drive down the road and I'll turn on the radio and on the radio, I will hear someone say, our Bible teacher today is the great Harry Ironside. And I will hear my voice on the radio. And he said, I'm struggling with humility. And his pastor friend said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to get two of those sandwich boards, like the salesmen downtown Chicago wear, and on the front of the sandwich board, I want you to, to have painted on there, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. On the back of the sandwich board, I want you to put for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Then I want you to go downtown Chicago and for three hours, I want you to hold your Bible and say nothing but repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And Harry Ironside saw no reason to not do that, so he did it. Sandwich boards were made went downtown Chicago, and for three hours he walked up and down the streets of Chicago, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And after three hours of doing that, Harry Ironside went back to his office, leaned those sandwich boards up against the wall, and thought, nobody could have done that better than I just did. <laughs> we all struggle with humility. We all struggle with seeing ourselves in the light of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. The reason the Lord wants us to have humility is in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15, we read these words. For thus saith the high and mighty one, lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Do you know that no proud person is going to make it to heaven? No person of arrogance or haughtiness or self-centeredness? Every single one of us, when we get there, it will be by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are all debtors to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Nothing good can I boast of myself. It's all of the Lord. And isn't it interesting that after the Lord washed the disciples' feet, they dispute among themselves which one is the greatest. Lord, am I the greatest? The Lord is saying, no, you're really not. A recent bestseller on six weeks, six months on the New York Times bestseller list, 
The very first line of the book said, it's not all about you. Have you ever met somebody that it was all about them? No matter what you say, they're able to turn your conversation around to talk about themselves. If you talk about your vacation, theirs was better. If you talk about your kids or grandkids, theirs did greater deeds. If you talk about any accomplishment, they can always one-up you. And the book said it's not all about you. Being in the political circles, I study politicians, I study some of American history. When Lyndon Johnson was president, he was a Texan, he liked big things, he thought quite highly of himself, he was not afraid to tell people what he thought. And Lyndon Johnson would tell his speechwriter when he was giving a he would say to his speechwriter, and make sure you put something in there that makes me sound humble. Do we manufacture humility? Do we fake humility? We certainly shouldn't. When you go to the Library of Congress, and when we were there, I thought it was interesting that it was on our trip at, at the Library of Congress where the docent, the librarian from the Library of Congress, emphasized the fact that Thomas Jefferson had a Koran. And that's all we heard about. Thomas Jefferson had a Koran. And so I had mentioned to the librarian afterwards, I said, you know, if you go into the, into the library room where Jefferson's books are, yes, he did have one Koran, but he's got five Bibles in there. So do you think maybe we should have mentioned the Bible too? Providentially, I had a tour going to Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks after that. And when we got there, as soon as the Stories and Stones, the name of our tour, all she talked about was Thomas Jefferson's Bible and never once mentioned the Koran. She kind of figured out that we weren't really all that interested in it. But when you go to the main reading room of the Library of Congress, you will see a statue to religion, and above the statue of religion is this Bible verse. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That's a story in stones. That is a national monument with a spiritual significance. When you study the founding of America, and you study the verses that they referred to over and over again, one of the most often quoted verses that the founders would, would cite to each other as they were formulating the government of the United States I thought it would be, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Now, they may have mentioned that once or twice in their writing. The reality of it is, the verse that they mentioned more often than anything else was the verse, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? What is that admonition to us? Well, number one, the Lord wants us to do justly. The Lord wants us to do everything that we say we're going to do. He wants our word to be as good and as solid as our character can make it. If we say we're going to do something, we should do it. The home that I grew up in, my dad had a business, and in all the years of his business, he said he never once had a written contract with anybody that he worked with. A handshake was good enough. His word. He trusted the other person for their word. And in all of those years, I think only one, maybe two people 
ever took advantage of the character that he had to do exactly what he said he was going to do in his business. But then to love mercy. You and I will find people in this world and they don't do what they say they're going to do. And it will frustrate us. And we need to realize that except for the grace of God, that could be us. And so we extend mercy to them. And in extending mercy to them, we walk humbly with the Lord. We realize there is nothing in this world that I have that I can take credit for. If I have anything in this world, down to the very food that Sue and I enjoy at our meals, every single thing we have is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we deserve none of it. His mercies to us are much better than we deserve. But why should we cultivate humility? In the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. What's the very first thing he mentions? A proud look. That look of the chin jutting up, the haughtiness in the eyes, the attitude of looking down on people, and God hates a proud look. Just like he hates hands that shed innocent blood. Can you think of anything in the United States today that might be applied to hands shedding innocent blood? Exactly. In the book of Philippians, it talked about living in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. I've often wondered, since America isn't listed exactly in the book of Revelation or in the Bible, if that might not be a reference to the United States right there, a perverse and crooked nation. And God wants us to stand as lights. God wants us to stand as examples of humility before those things. I want you to see something. Turn with me over to the book of Acts, chapter 12. I look for these things as I read my Bible, dealing with our elected officials dealing what happens to them in certain situations. In Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 21, we read these words, And upon a set day, Herod, there we go, our elected official, our government authority, arrayed in royal apparel, all of the clothing that the office affords him, sat upon his throne, his position of authority, the one thing that only the leader of the, of the precinct was allowed to sit on. And he made an oration unto them. He raised his voice and gave a speech. And the people gave a shout, maybe as somebody who is trying to curry favor with him, maybe as somebody who is toady, just trying to, uh, uh, trying to impress them, impress the one speaking. And they gave a shout, and said, it is the voice of a God, not man. And Herod, in his pride and arrogancy, just said, I can enjoy this. Please, a little louder in my good ear. But what Herod didn't realize is that there was somebody else listening at that time. And verse 23 says, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Why would he do that? Because he gave not God the glory. He didn't acknowledge the fact that he is the creature, God is the creator. 
When we work with the Michigan Association of Christian Schools Fine Arts, we have elementary school fine arts where kids can come and give their speech or play their piano piece or, or do a painting or take a photograph. And they're all excited about that. Then we have junior high fine arts. And it's always fascinating watching junior high fine arts because those little guys in junior high, they're, they have a little bit more self-confidence than the elementary kids, but they're still fairly insecure and they're pretty transparent. And we have to work with them and we say, now look, when you play your trumpet or you play the piano or you give your speech and somebody says, you did well, the average junior higher says, yeah, I know. I really kind of nailed it today. And they talk about how well they did. I love it when they applaud themselves for their sermon. And they say, somebody said amen while I was giving my sermon. And you don't want to bust their bubble and say, well, that was your grandmother sitting in there. <laughs> but we work with them and we say, if somebody compliments you on what you've done for the Lord, your answer is, praise the Lord. You did well today. Praise the Lord. You did a fine job with that. Praise the Lord. You did this for the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us reflect glory and honor back to him because he gets all of the glory and honor. Traveling like we do, we get to have many different experiences. And we were at a church where there was a um, Michigan State police officer was in the church and he was stationed in the Lansing area. And after the service, he came up and he said, hey, I got to tell you a story. He said, I travel the roads around Lansing. That's the area that I cover. And he said, more often than not, I will pull somebody over for speeding and it'll be one of our elected officials. And he said, be fair with me, he said, if they're a Democrat, they will look at me and say, do you know who I am? And he wants to say, yes, Senator, I know who you are. You write the laws of this state. Is it asking too much that you obey the laws of this state? He said, if they're a Republican, he said, and I pull them over for speeding, he said, they won't look at me. They'll hand me the driver's license like this, and then they'll say, this isn't going to make it in the newspaper, is it? <laughs> They're ashamed at what's happened to them. But pride is the attitude of saying, do you know who I am? The book of Ephesians tells us that with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, we are supposed to forbear one another in love. We put up with each other in humility. When the Lord was on his earthly ministry, his second cousin, John the Baptist, was having his ministry as well. And at one point, the Lord said that of those that were born of women, there was not greater than John the Baptist. And you look at the attitude of John the Baptist. The Lord Jesus Christ just said, you are the greatest man who's ever lived. The greatest human being. Anybody who was ever born of women, there's not greater than John the Baptist. And what was John's attitude? What does John chapter one, 3 and verse 30 say? He must increase. I must decrease. I want God to be big in my life, and I want to be small in other people's eyes. In our hymnals, we have a number of songs written by Fanny Crosby. And if you take a class in hymnology and you start studying the lives of the people that are in the hymnals, 
you will see that there are a number of names in our hymnals that we know absolutely nothing about that person. And then, if you study the diaries and the letters of Fanny Crosby, you will see that in her diary, she wrote the words to that hymn out as a poem. But when it came to be published, she didn't want Fanny Crosby's name on that hymn because she didn't want people thinking about Fanny Crosby while they sang it. She wanted them thinking about the words while they sang it. That's humility. That's the idea of humility. So what is, what is humility? How do I cultivate humility in my life? I recognize that everything that happens in my life, God and others are responsible for it. Do you realize in humility, in humility, somebody brought you to the Lord Jesus Christ? Only once in 19 years of working with the Michigan Association of Christian Schools and making that statement and speaking in churches have I heard somebody come up to me and say, well, actually, I was sitting at home and I realized I needed to know more about God. So I went to the bookstore, I bought a Bible, I read the Bible, and I led myself to the Lord. If you think about how you got saved, a family member, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a co-worker, a friend, someone sat down in humility and one person led another person to the Lord. That's humbling. That's humbling talking about the gospel with another person. And I think about how the Apostle Paul approached the idea of humility. When you look at Paul's life, in AD 59, Paul writes, I am less than least. I am the least of all the apostles. Think about what he's saying. How many apostles are there? Twelve. All right. So what's he saying? You know, there's only 12 of us. It's kind of like being on the executive board. You know, we only meet once a year. But of the 12 of us that are there, I really don't deserve to be there. I'm the least of the apostles. And then you come to AD 63, and what he says in AD 63, he says, unto me who am less than least of all the saints. And the Lord tells us that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Most people cannot are on that path. He says narrow is the way that leads to life. And so Paul is saying of that narrow path that few people proportionally in the world are in, of all the saints that are on that path, I'm the least of all those who are saved and on the right path for salvation. Then you come to AD 64, just before his martyrdom, and he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom, what? I am chief. Chief. I am chief. He says, of every person whose feet have ever soiled this earth, I am the least of the human beings that are here. I don't deserve it. God is much better to me than I deserve. Peter tells us that we're supposed to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt us in due time. Humble ourselves. I asked a pastor friend of mine one time, he was telling me about a funeral that he had to do, and I said, what was the most interesting funeral that you ever did? And he said, it was my very first funeral. I said, really, tell me about it. 
And he said, it was a man who had passed away and he was in my church, but he was estranged from his daughter. They hadn't spoken in seven years. And so the way that we do things at our church, I don't know how you do it here. He said, but they had the casket right there, open casket, and the pastor stood right here. And he said, the reason that I did that is sometimes people get a little emotionally overwrought. And he said, I'm just there to help them if they need anything. And he said, this daughter came through who had not spoken to her dad in seven years. And when she got up to the casket, she slapped him in the face and then fell into a heap right in front of the casket. You know, the Bible says only by pride comes contention. Do you know that two, people, two humble people cannot get into an argument? Only the person who believes, I've got my rights. I deserve this. Two proud, proud people can get into an argument. A humble person cannot. And God tells us, he wants us to be humble in this world. He wants us to cultivate a spirit of humility. It's interesting, a couple of years ago, there was a book that came out. And I love it when there's all of these um, amalgam of religion books. And this woman wrote a book called The Secret. How many of you have ever heard of the book The Secret? And in the book The Secret, she studies the world religions and in studying the world's religion, she wants to come up with what is the secret to life. And if you listen to the book, and Sue and I had the great misfortune of listening to that book as we went down the road. She was from Australia, and the secret to life in her mind was the law of attraction. But because she was from Australia, she couldn't say the word law. It was the law of attraction. So for about four hours in the car, we got to hear about the law of attraction. And she talked about the secret. But Psalm 25 tells us that the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Them that humble themselves before the Lord. Those that realize that God has given us more than we deserve in this world. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 says, Jesus went about doing good. A humble person can do good deeds for the right reason to help others, to be an encouragement to them. When I think about what people in Christian education, what your students do not get, some of the things that I think about that they do not get is they don't hear a lot about secular humanism as a belief system. We tell them that all of them were created in the image of God. Male and female made he them. In the world, God made little pink ones and little blue ones, and he wants us to live our lives accordingly. They don't do well, our students don't do well on the evolutionary time charts because we believe that God created the world in six literal days. And even though all of the world, all of intelligentsia, all of the elite tell us that we are wrong, in humility we'll say, we say, we believe God. Thus saith the Lord. And so, in a Christian school, a Christian school teacher says the most humbling thing one person can say to another person, and he says to them, she says to that student, follow me as I follow Christ. I won't lead you astray. 
when Robert E. Lee was living at what we call Arlington House, the Lee Custis House, which is at the top of the hill of Arlington Cemetery. Robert E. Lee walked out of his office one day and a fresh snow had fallen on the ground. And as he was walking from his house to his office, he heard footsteps behind him. And he turned and he saw his little son trying to keep up in his dad's footprints in the freshly fallen snow. And Robert E. Lee wrote in his diary that night, he said, when I saw this, this little man trying to stay in my footsteps, he said, I humbled myself and realized I must walk very straight indeed when this little one is following in my steps. I need to be an example to others. I need to do what God would have me to do. I need to live my life with humility. The challenge that I would challenge you with today is God wants us to be humble. God wants us to pray for humility. God wants us to live at our faith in humility. He wants us not to think of ourselves in terms that are arrogant, haughty, or proud. He wants us to think about ourselves in terms as debtors. When I speak in Christian school chapels, oftentimes I will challenge the students. Paul says in the book of Romans, he says, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not a prisoner of Rome. Paul was not a prisoner of the prison he was in. Paul said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do what I want to do because the love of Jesus Christ constrains me to do other things. And I challenge young people to say, all of us have hopes, dreams, and goals with our life. Very few people are in the Christian school and they say, I just want to waste my life. They dream about what they want to do. And I challenge them, will you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you serve him with humility? Will you be the kind of servant leader that, that Paul talks about here in the book of Philippians? The poet has said this. He said, when I, she said, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it could have been had he had his way and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief though he loves me still. He would have me rich and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace, while memory runs like a hunted thing down paths I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face in my empty hands. I'll bow my uncrowned head. Lord, of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me to the pattern thou hast planned. What's the pattern that the Lord wants for us? Let's look again in the book of Philippians chapter 2. This is how God wants us to live out our lives in this crooked and perverse nation. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Our humility will radiate in this world in such a way that pride and arrogancy cannot. My challenge to us tonight is, let's go live the truth. Let's pray together. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.